Brought to you by Soul Fire Productions. Hello and welcome to Mother the Mother. I am McLean McGowan. This podcast is an offering for all women to gather energetically, sister to sister, mother to mother, to co-create a sacred space for healing, educating, and sharing as we journey through motherhood and womanhood. It is such an incredibly powerful moment in time to be a woman, and I thank you for showing up on behalf of yourself and for all of the women in your lives, past, present, and future, to honor our matriarchal lines, all who came before, and all who will come after. Hi, everyone. Thank you for being here for a real talk with Sam, my business doula, who is incredible. You've seen me share about her. And I'm so happy to be sitting with her on a Zoom video recording this episode. Hi, thank you for being here and I'm excited. Thank you for also collecting some great questions. I know people were DMing you and you have some new mama friends that have some questions. So I'm excited to dive in. Yeah, I think this is going to be really helpful for your audience and just, you know, in general moms and moms to be. And I think actually we can just roll right into that because the first question is actually about mom club. So they're wondering about Mom Club, exactly how is this going to benefit moms and moms-to-be? So the intention for Mom Club is to be a sacred container where we all are showing up wherever we are on our journey of womanhood and motherhood, whether you're wanting to maybe conceive soonish or you're pregnant, heavily pregnant coming up onto your birth zone or deep in your postpartum shift or, you know, a mom of toddlers or teenagers. It's really a place for us to gather. And now more than ever, especially when we have not been able to gather in person, we have found new ways, right? I mean, I still love gathering in the flesh and hugging and being together. It is medicine, but this is the next best thing. And I really am hoping that as the community grows, you will find your community wherever you are. So say you find that three of the people on the call are from Nashville and you're like, oh, cool. We live like 10 minutes apart. Let's meet up at the park and breastfeed or walk our babies. Or, you know, do you have a good pediatrician or what are you doing about your, you know, formula or whatever, just that we really are creating places to meet and cross kind of pollinate and, the beautiful thing about women gathering is it's not precious. You know, you don't have to be qualified. You don't have to be any kind of expert. The medicine really is in the gathering. So anyone that's on the call can have her own circles, you know, and take it from there. So um, I have been deep in my own circle work for 10 years and it helped change my life. It helped me really define what I needed for community and how to ask for help and to learn how to do that. Cause I certainly didn't grow up with that. So that's why I wanted to create mom club and I'm really excited as it's launching and there's going to be tons of free content in there. So if you want to work with me, especially if you're into the coaching or you need some extra support, but maybe coaching isn't in alignment with your finances right now or your time or where you are in your life, mom club is a really great place to start. Awesome. I think too, within that is a good question of 
what can people expect when mom club launches so i know there's going to be different like varying levels Mm -hmm. and what kind of support will be there for each tier that's offered so the main one will be two live calls per month. And then if you can't make it live, they'll be recorded. So you can listen to them whenever you can. And it's also really about showing up however you are. So you don't need to look done. You don't need to be showered. You don't have to have your video on. You can be lying in bed, nursing your baby. You can have a toddler hang off of you. You can be cooking dinner or whatever. It's really about you having support. There'll be for the higher tier, there'll also be a new moon call each month, either live or recorded. And then there'll be, for both levels, group hypnosis each month. There will be weekly prompts. There'll be a monthly theme, loosely kind of based on what's going on in the world and the moon cycle. And, you know, as we move through the seasons, we always have new things to be shedding or calling in. So that way, you know, it's never the same and it's never the same based on who shows up to the call as well. So I will lead it and we'll have a discussion and a topic and then depending on who's there and who wants to share and ask questions, we'll have time for that as well. Love it. I'm going to do a little plug for you. So you have really, (laughs) really good newsletters every Monday. It's the Moon Day Mm -hmm. newsletter. Mm -hmm. And I know you're providing a lot of information about Mom Club and the offerings that you're having through that. So if anyone is interested, if you're not already on the newsletter, make sure you go to McLean's link in her bio at Mother the Mother and you can just sign up there. There's also information on coaching too, which if you want to do a little plug for that, I think that could be a good opportunity here, McLean. Great. Thank you. Yes. And the, you know, the newsletter really more and more is going to be the best way to stay in the loop, even more than on social media. So please do join there. And with the one-on-one coaching, it's just the work that I love doing that I've done with my postpartum doula clients, my private clients but it's like the deep work. It's the deep dive. And that's the stuff that I just feel so called to be focusing on now at this part of my life. And I feel like that's the best way for me to really help women move more quickly through their journey. So it never looks the same because each client I have is different. I have clients that are thinking about maybe wanting to conceive kind of soon all the way to moms of teenagers to moms deep in their postpartum, you know, especially after this year of the pandemic after 2020, when women were birthing alone and doing postpartum alone, it's been real, real. And so just helping them navigate, finally settling into their bodies. I use a lot of different tools, meditation, deep dive, spiritual work. It's not based on any religion, but it's very much tied to learning about and then harnessing your own innate power as a woman and especially as a mom. So we've kind of been sold this bill of goods that we need to be looking outside of ourselves for our power. And it's actually a lot of unlearning and deprogramming ourselves to come back to our innate power, which is for a lot of us, we're kind of clueless about until we actually birth a baby and have gone through that journey from maiden to mother, that rite of passage. But women need to be supported by other women. Women need to be supported by women that have gone through this before. And a lot of us were not modeled this from our own moms, our grandmothers, our great-great-grandmothers, and no shame or blame. It's just what the trend of society has been. So now there is a great movement of reclaiming that ownership of how strong our bodies are, how we're built for this. And that doesn't have to be epidural versus home birth. It doesn't have to be these like divisive narratives. 
it's really what is best for you and learning what that is, you know? So a lot of, for example, when I work with a woman who is pregnant, we really look at her conditioning and her programming about being pregnant and about birth and about labor and about quote unquote pain and about the fear she has for motherhood and really dissecting and pulling apart. Are those hers? Are those someone else's? Are those societal views that she has consumed or let be in her own system when it's actually not her fear when we uncover it? So there's just a lot of work to be done. I do prenatal and postnatal yoga, couples work. I love working with couples. So say I'm working with a woman in a monthly container, we might have one time per month where I do partner work because partners are going through their own journey too. And for a lot of, especially if we're talking about men as the partners, they have not grown up around babies. They've never diapered a child. They've never really stopped to think about becoming a father or maybe what they want to bring or not bring that their own male lineage programmed them to be, if that makes any sense. Like, I feel like women, and this is a gross generalization, but a lot of women from you know, like in their twenties, thirties, no, they want to have a kid, you know, it's like, if that's within them, they know that. Right. So men don't always know that men don't always connect with that part of themselves as young. So by the time, like you're at the stage in your life where you want to have a child, the women have done more, a lot of, a lot more of that work than the men have. So I love the couple's work. It's also really great to help get couples on a plan for the postpartum time. So the partner can really feel that they have clear directives and how to support their birthing partner. And it can be big things. It can be super little things. So a really important thing is always having water by the mom 24 seven, just having water by the bed, wherever she is in the house, there's water. She's breastfeeding. You need to be drinking water every time you're breastfeeding. So simple, right? But knowing that that's their job makes the partner feel really good because you know, those first couple of weeks and even months, if you're breastfeeding, the symbiotic relationship between mom and baby is so tight that the other partner sometimes feels kind of left out or like, I don't know what to do. I don't really know how to help. It's, it's all on you, but there are simple things, always having water, always having snacks nearby, always having really beautiful, nutritious food in the fridge, ready to be heated up, taking the trash out, you know, whatever your thing is for the woman. Like a lot of my clients, there's so much anxiety. Like, is the kitchen clean? Cause you're supposed to be in your room. You're supposed to be in your bed. You're not supposed to be doing those things that we're all used to doing. And we have weird anxieties. You know, it's like, I don't like my kitchen to be dirty. I don't like there to be dishes in the sink. So what my partner can do if I'm in bed, nursing my kid and healing from the birth is keeping the kitchen clean for me or walking the dog or, you know, whatever your thing is. So I really help couples dial that in. And I work with each client wherever they are. And there's no judgment. I never have an agenda. It's really to meet women exactly where they are and then to help them get to where they want to go. That's beautiful. I think this next question actually really ties very well into this. So someone asks, I'm in my mid thirties and single, but I'm thinking one day I might want kids. Should I be doing anything about this now besides joining mom club? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Join mom club. But, um, yeah, I think I love that question. And I think that the work that we do on ourselves and for ourselves is never wasted. So looking at your lineage, looking at your matriarchal line, looking at your own relationship with your body, looking at your own journey as a woman, your 
comfortability in your own fertility, you know, like for instance, I did not want to get my period. I was such a tomboy. I was so ashamed of it. You know, that was, there was some like deep kind of programming. I didn't, I didn't want to be that feminine. And that was something that I've maybe kind of always grappled with a little bit. And then, you know, when I got pregnant with my first, it really was about stepping into that divine feminine, you know, getting soft, getting round, getting huge boobs for me. So looking at all those things, you know, and again, nothing's good or bad. It's just really interesting to look at where we are, you know? And so I always recommend if you're thinking about thinking about getting pregnant, it's a great time to get into therapy, maybe have a baseline. If you're married or in a deep partnership, couples therapy can be really great just to know where you are, you know, in your relationship on what page, what fears, all that's coming up, clean up your diet, get really great labs. I'd go to a functional doctor, get like a whole panel of more alternative labs, check your thyroid, check your hormones. I'm in such a place in my life where I don't believe there's like one health food or one healthy diet. I think it's so dependent on each person's body. So figuring out what that is for yourself, cleaning it up, ideally stop drinking. I think alcohol is a real fertility killer in a lot of ways. If you're doing drugs, I would clean that up. I would really work on helping your partner. If you're with someone before getting pregnant, help them clean up too. It's not just the woman, you know, that was the belief for decades. Men can do whatever they want. And it's just the woman. It's not true. And we are in a place where men are very infertile just as women are. And I don't know if that is, it's a lot of things. It's a lot of the drugs. It's a lot of the environmental toxins. It's a lot of the things we're injecting into our bodies. It's 5g it's having phones next to the place where sperm is kept. There are a lot of factors in fertility and it's down something like 70% since the 1970s. Like it's pretty staggering. So we are in a place where the more you work towards being clean in mind, body, and spirit, you are opening yourself up for a child to come in. And on a spiritual level, I also think that thinking about like, what would you want to come into? If you're a soul hanging up out there waiting to like find your place for this lifetime, you're going to want to come into a comfortable place, a healthy place, a home that feels really good and loving. And that might be kind of woo-woo for some people, but I really do believe that. And so setting that up, like, do you have a nice nest? You don't have to have a mansion, obviously, but like, do you have a safe nest for this baby? Do you have a comfortable bed? Do you have clean water? Do you have healthy food? Do you have beautiful music playing in your house? You know, is there rage going on in your house? Is there abuse? Maybe not so great to have a soul come in, you know? So like looking at all those things. Yeah, I like the talk about like the man side of this too and, and the partnership and all of that because that's something, it's not just like an us thing. No, not at all. And more... Now more than ever, I'm seeing it actually switch over to the men too with the fertility. So, you know, for anyone that maybe has not gotten pregnant as quickly as you think, get the sperm check too, because it's a big one and get them on some good supplements to, to clean everything out. All right. This question does not tie into any. Well, it might to you. To me, I'm like, this is a left field question. Uh, vaginal steaming. This intrigues me, <laughs> but scares me. Where do I start or should I start? <laughs> yes. Good question. Okay. So vaginal steaming is getting kind of trendy. It's something that's been around for thousands of years. So don't be scared. It is really very simple. Now there are spas and Korean spas and different places that offer it. So if you are scared, maybe you want to go somewhere where someone is doing it for you and showing you how to do it. It's super simple. 
you get a box and actually as we're doing this <laughs> podcast my computer is sitting on my vaginal steam box Stop so it. it's very <laughs> apropos <laughs> oh my God. it's a perfect desk height so i got this on etsy it's a beautiful cedar box and it has a heart cut out that you sit on top but you just really need a box anyone can make a wooden box for you for cheap and you put a bowl of steaming water filled with herbs in the box and then you sit on top that's it super simple and you can you know investigate different herbs to do you can also just do epsom salt or sea salt uh, you could do like maybe a drop of essential oil. You want to go very, very light on that because essential oils are medicine. A lot of people don't view them as such, but they're very intensive. So when I do mine or when I'm working with my postpartum clients, I'll do a mix. But the usual culprits are chamomile flower, lavender, uva ursi, dandelion, plantain. I'll do a sea salt or Epsom salt. And then sometimes for not my my new mamas, but for like myself after my moon cycle, I'll do like a teeny bit of peppermint leaf. So it's kind of like a, a little zing, if you will. <laughs> I'm just looking at Sam's face. Um, but the way it's not harsh, like that's the beautiful thing. It's, you know, like if you've ever gotten a steam facial, you know how it just feels good and you just feel like debris is getting loosened up in your face and it's not abrasive. It's just like this nice, steam. And then after like 10, 15 minutes, you're getting like a little sweat going and you feel impurities coming out. It's the same thing when you do the steam box. So you just sit on there. You don't want it boiling. You want, you know, be very careful. You want to make sure it feels warm, but not too hot. And then you just wrap a towel around you and you sit on there for like 15, 20 minutes, read a book, med it's a great time to meditate. It's a really nice ritual. So like for me, I like to do it after my moon cycle because it just helps clean out. Not that we're dirty, but just helps loosen up any extra blood or debris that needs to kind of come out of the uterus lining. For the postpartum mamas that do it, do not be alarmed if you see big clots come out. It can actually make you bleed a little bit more because your uterus is releasing. But yeah, I love it. I think it's something that tones our uterus. It tones our insides. It's something that's been used for thousands of years. And that's the stuff that I trust more than anything. Like all the practices that stand the test of time are what I'm interested in. I had no idea about any of this. So the benefits in general are just like a, like a facial benefit, but not for your face. Yeah. Yeah. It's toning. Yeah. It's toning. It's cleansing. It's antiviral. It's antibacterial. Let's say you maybe have had sex with someone, you know, you're not sure of on the flip side or want to make sure that you're killing off any, you know, foreign stuff that it can be great for that as well. You know, douching is something that can really mess up your pH balance. This does not do that because it's not flushing anything out. This is just like bringing nutrients and warmth to that area. And when you're postpartum, you know, it's all about bringing warmth to the body through the, your teas, your warm soups you're drinking, always keeping your feet covered. You know, I mean, I go on and all about my podcast for postpartum. So please go back and listen to all of that because it's a huge topic, but this is another way to bring warmth to the body from an internal place. So it really does speed up the postpartum healing. Learn something new every day. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I think this one kind of ties in well with vaginal steaming being part of a practice of yours. So how else do you make time for yourself while running a business, having a podcast, 
being a mom, being in partnership, maintaining a spiritual practice? Like, how do you do it all? Hmm. So I definitely don't feel like I do it all. I definitely do not feel like every day is balanced. And I think that's also something that's kind of messed us up. You know, like when people are like, how do you find balance? Balance to me is not judged over the day or maybe even the week or maybe even the month. I feel like we're always in new cycles of our motherhood, of our lives, of our partnership. Nothing is stagnant. And I think that's kind of the coolest and the wonkiest part of motherhood is that everything's always in cycles and transitions. It's like literally once you're like, oh, I got this, you're into a new phase with your kid and new curveballs, And it's literally never ending. And obviously when you've had one kid, you get kind of used to it. You can handle those curveballs with the second kid that much easier. With your first one, it's a lot because the learning curve is this. It's a, you know, it's like a straight vertical learning curve. So for me, you know, I'm, I'm much different now than I was 10 years ago when I was pregnant with my first child. It's a journey. I definitely now, and I'm in my 40s, I have learned that, and it's taken me a long time to learn this, but my mental health, my physical health, my emotional and spiritual health have to come first. And that may sound really selfish, but if I am not coming from a place of feeling full and, you know, I'm not full every day, let's say even like three fourths, my container feels good. I can be a good mom. I can be a loving partner. I can be helpful to my clients. You know, I'm not serving anyone if I'm ragged, if I'm strung out, if I'm not believing in what I'm preaching, if I'm not actually living what I'm preaching. And especially with this work and women's work and everything I say and do comes from a place of authenticity. I don't know anything else than being myself and really being authentic. And so I had to put that first. Like I can't be telling a mom, oh, you need to be meditating for 10 minutes every day if I'm never meditating. Like it, it's just, it's not going to work and it's going to really come through, you know, energetically it's going to come through. So I have to meditate every day. I wake up and I, before I even get out of bed, I do my gratitude list. I often listen to a hypnosis. I do my affirmations. I ground into my body. I really check in throughout the day with my nervous system. Nervous system is everything if you're a mom. And our nervous system is telling us what we need to be listening to. And we're so used to overriding it. Oh, I'm tired. I'm going to chug another cup of coffee instead of maybe lying down for 20 minutes when my baby's resting or taking a nap. Saying no a lot more. I say no a lot now to things. I only commit to things when it really lights me up. I only see friends now that really light me up. I don't have the bandwidth or time to be around people that... It's not even that I don't like or love them. It's just maybe we're not jiving right now. And But I, I just kind of can't afford it energetically um, because I'm giving so much to my home, my partner, certainly my kids every day. I mean, you're my business doula. You're my business coach. And it's like, I'll have a list of three things to get you. And a lot of days I don't get those to you because it's just like the vacuum of motherhood comes in. And it's a lot of stuff that's never seen. No one really appreciates it. I mean, I wasted, you know, quote unquote, wasted two of my work afternoons the other day because I was figuring out our travel plans for the summer, which have like 10 different variables. I had to commit to camps already. I had to start committing to the fall and school. Like it's so many massive decisions at you at all times as a mom. So I've learned to be a lot more gentle with myself and also, 
you know, you that doesn't ever make me feel bad when I'm not delivering or on time, which is huge, you know, or like, I don't have friends that make me feel shitty about canceling plans anymore. Like I don't, I don't have people in my life that don't support me. I just don't, um, because I don't, it's, it's too exhausting and it makes you just feel badly, you know? And it's like, like, you know, you know what my intentions are, you know what I want to be doing, you know what I'll be creating. And if it's like a couple of weeks late, like, so be it, you know, I'd rather be not being a dick to my kids. I'd rather be loving my life and maybe be on a slower timeline than like not being a, a fun or cool or happy mom. So how do you, just a question on my own here, delegate then or find, I guess, the time to put you where you need to be to be able to then provide the rest of your energy elsewhere? Well, I'm very lucky. I have a very loving husband and he's a great dad. He also works a full-time job. Now he's working this past year from home. So like if I have to dip out, at least there's another human here. Um, I also have a fabulous babysitter, usually four days a week. And I just stack my work, you know, and then I have usually like three to four days in a row where I'm not really getting work done because I'm a full-time mom. And I have learned that I actually work better that way where I just know I'm focused. I can get a lot of work done. And then on the other days I, do, I can take that stress off because it's too stressful to be parenting kids on deadlines on trying to get stuff done. It just, it frazzles me. Other moms are much better at it. I also need a lot of sleep. So that's something I've learned through the decade of being a mom. Like I'm not good when I'm under slept. And so I go to sleep with my kids. And, you know, that's a lot of times like entrepreneurs and working moms, that's when they get more work done or their time at night, but I need that for sleep. So, you know, I'm less probably ambitious and less productive because of that. But for my body, I have to prioritize sleep and meditation, you know, even three minutes a day is better than none. And I crave it. I need it. So if I even have gets, you know, to appointment early, two, three minutes in the car, I listen to mantra hypnosis for me. That's why I love doing hypnosis is because it helps me get in and get out so fast. And I feel like I've had like an hour of sleep or meditation. It really works that quickly for me. So I implement that daily. Usually if I can, it can even be like a 10 to 15 minute hypnosis does wonders and just checking in with my body throughout the day. Am I thirsty? Uh, am I feeling tired? Where am I feeling open? Okay. I'm, I'm feeling aggro. What can I do about that right now? Okay. Maybe I'll go put my legs up the wall just for 10 minutes and return emails on my phone or return that call, things like that. It's just, it's almost, it's not hard. It's just a new muscle to constantly ask yourself throughout the day. What do I need right now? Because as moms, sometimes, you know, it's 3 PM and you're like, Oh shit, I haven't even eaten today. And that's messed up. You know, we're ignoring our own bodies and our own needs. I will say the leg up the wall trick. Very big. It's really big. <laughs> it, it completely resets me. I mean, 10 to 15 minutes and I feel like I've been to the spa. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Okay. Here's another one for you. Navigating a partnership where one person continues to expand and the other person is perfectly comfortable remaining in what they know to be true. This is a big one. And this is a big one right now too. I'm seeing a lot of couples on different pages and you know, there's no easy answer. There's no easy answers. I think partnerships and marriages go through real phases. Someone told me that before I got married, she said, 
you know, there are bad years of mar- of marriage. And I remember just being like, oh my God, that is the most depressing thing I've ever heard. I don't, I don't want that. No, thank you. <laughs> don't want that. But I do think, you know, relationships are hard. Like, I mean, and we all are not built the same. I mean, I think that's something we don't consider. I certainly didn't, con- I did not know this about myself in my twenties and even my early thirties. Like I am a lone wolf. Like I love to be alone. I never really get that much time alone. That's all I want. Like people are like, what's your ideal vacation? I'm like alone with no one talking to me for seven to 10 days. You know, like that's like my dream vacation. And that is not for everybody, you know? And like my husband, he's really a lone wolf too. So like, I mean, I'm sure that's part of why we partnered is because for me, I would not do well with like a quote unquote, like needy man that needed me to do a lot of stuff for them throughout the day. Like that would just really annoy me. So, but then, you know, the shadow side of that is that we both can kind of veer off and do our own things all the time. So anyway, I don't even know why I brought all that up, but just knowing yourself before you get in a relationship is one thing, but then also when you have kids, you start adding kids into the fold, whole lot of new things come up that you had no idea. You didn't even know to ask those things, right? You didn't, I didn't even know to ask my husband things until we're like seven years into marriage. I'm like, oh, I didn't, I had no idea that was like a belief you held, you know, because children just bring a lot, you know, it's a different kind of partnership. So that's a good question. And I think having patience with yourself, having patience with your partner, whether it's talk therapy or other kinds of body work or other kinds of therapy, I think the more you know yourself and allow yourself to keep unfolding, you know, we're, we're not the same as we are at 25 as a four, when you're 45 in the same relationship. I mean, hopefully you're continually growing and continually changing. Otherwise life to me would be very boring, but it is challenging when you feel like you're on your own journey and making big changes and your partner is not. And, you know, sometimes that's cool and you can kind of have your own stuff on the sides and you have the things that bring you together. And then other times it's like, oh, well, that relationship has served its purpose. And now it's time that we, we go off and do our thing. And I do think that, you know, we viewed divorce and I come from a divorced family. I didn't like it, you know, like I have big feelings about that my parents divorced, but I think as a society, it would be great if we didn't have that stigma because I think it's actually so brave to leave relationships when it's not working and actually how much better a lot of us children would be if our parents separated or split up earlier than when they maybe did, you know, because I would much rather have two loving parents that co-parented really well than seeing miserable fighting, very unrealized people for parents, you know, that felt like they weren't living their authentic lives. I had a a friend in high school. Her parents were together, but like, I don't think anybody realized they were together because they never spent time together. They never went to events together, nothing. And then when her youngest sister graduated from high school, so about three years after we had all graduated, like the day after she graduated, her parents got a divorce. And we were like, finally, like, what were you doing? Yeah. And like, what was the point? Like, what was the point to stay, you know? Yeah. And I think everyone has their own reasons for all of that. And, you know, certainly when we get married and have children, we want to be together. I mean, that's the dream that we're kind of envisioning, at least most of us, especially if you have divorced parents, you don't want to to bring that to your family and your kids. But also I think it is so brave when people can just acknowledge that they're on different planes and different parts of their life. I agree. 
I think it's a hard, it's like one of those rock in a hard place feelings. Totally. But once you make a decision, regardless if it's separating or working through it, after that hump in the road, after that decision is made, you turn back around and you're like, oh, this, this, this feels good now. I'm glad we had that yeah. conversation or that we made that decision now. When you're and something, it. so we went to couples therapy, this really great therapist, Dan Tatkin and his wife, and they have just incredible practice. And looking back, and I also would advise this to anyone, if you're feeling that is go to couples therapy or find something that is similar to a therapy where you guys are both invested. And I also think if one person really wants to work on the relationship and one person really, really doesn't and is not willing to, that's a huge red flag because you can't make something work if someone's already kind of mentally out the door. But he made a great point that, you know, everything in life people prepare for, like you go to this school to go to this school to get this job. And then everyone just assumes like you're going to meet this person you love and then be happy for the rest of your life. And it literally makes no sense. You know, like when we dissected, it makes no sense, but we're all kind of programmed that way. Like I'm going to fall in love and it's just going to be amazing. We're going to get married and then it's going to be great. We're going to have kids and it's just all going to be great. And that is just not based on any sort of reality. And it takes work. It takes work. It takes compromise. It takes not being able to be right all the time, really look at your own stuff, your own shadow, your own childhood, your own traumas, and you have to be willing to do the work. Very true. That actually is a very good lead into the next question. How can I prevent projecting my own traumas and fears onto my children? Mm, yes. Okay. This is this is what I have lots of feelings about. So it all comes back to knowing yourself, you know, in so much of this work, so much of the work I do is just know thyself. And I am here to reflect that back to you and to help guide you to be able to open those parts up of yourself. So it takes a real commitment to do your inner work and to put the time energy, you know, the more you do before pregnancy, then the more work you do during pregnancy is amazing. The more work you continue to do solo, also couples work, like all of that goes to our children. And it's not just us, the women, it's the partners too. But as the cornerstone of the family, which we are as mothers, it does fall on us, you know, and we, that's why I'm so into the self-care and the self-love because any anger, anxiety, emotions we're stuffing down, our children feel it. They feel it all. And even my three-year-old, like I'll just, I think she's in her own world completely. And I'll just stare off for like five seconds thinking about something. She's like, mommy, what are you thinking about? And she's like across the room playing with her little calico critters. And I, you know, she's so dialed into me and it's a huge responsibility to have that, you know? So I've had mentors in my life. I've had coaches, I've had teachers to really help me do my work. I am a very sensitive, empathic person. So Different kinds of body work, even remotely working with different healers really works for me to help clear energy. I do not do well with holding on to anger. I do not do well with stuffing feelings, having resentment. So that's actually part of my daily work is to relieve and release all of that daily, like purge it out of my body into the ground, burning it up into the core of mother earth. So none of that is like static in my home for my kids because they will pick up on it. And I'm going to do a whole deep dive podcast on this, but it's generational too. It can be from our grandmothers, our mothers, the nutrition of our grandmothers and our great grandmothers can affect my daughters. Then we add trauma to that. You know, I mean, there's so much like static and energetic nuanced 
parts of our lives, they go to our children. So being very mindful, obviously the TV that's watched in the house, you know, reducing screen time. I am kind of a big stickler about that. Playing good music, mantra. We do different meditations. I love to do Reiki on them. And then most of it comes from our modeling and how are they seeing me in my life? And how are they seeing me talk to myself? How are they seeing me talk to my husband? How are they seeing me talk to my mother? How are they seeing me talk to the waitress? You know, all of that is showing them what's acceptable, what's not acceptable, and also helping them process their emotions. So I'm really big on being humble enough to apologize to your kids. You know, I'm really sorry that I said it like that. I saw that that really hurt your feelings. I'm just tired or I'm hungry or whatever, but that's where that self discipline comes from. It's like, okay, if I know that about myself, like I need to eat a snack at 3 PM, otherwise I'm a biatch, like that falls on me to do that. So I'm not taking on my kids. Does that make sense? So it's just that like accountability and knowing myself. So I know how to give myself what I need so that I can be the mom without bringing this other stuff. And, you know, let me tell you, being a mom is the fastest way to a spiritual path possible. Like all your stuff will be brought up. Everything will be triggering the stuff you thought you had gotten over. Nope. Still there. So it's the constant peeling back the layers and having the grace to apologize, to admit when you're wrong, to be able to talk through stuff with your kids, to cry in front of your kids. You know, I also think a lot of us were kind of raised where at least I, I'll just speak for myself. I didn't see a lot of emotion. I didn't see a lot of fighting, which on one hand was good, but I also didn't see like discussions and how to repair. And when two parents disagree, how they move through it and get to the other side, I didn't see that part so much. So when my husband and I have a fight, how do, how do we do that? How do we talk about that? How do we repair and explain it on the other side? So my kids aren't scared or worried we're going to get a divorce or, you know, all of those things. They're just transparency, but you have to like walk the talk. I remember one of my good friends was pregnant with her second or third. And I think it was her third. And she was talking to me and I was hoping it was a girl. I was really excited. She was like, Sam, I can't have a girl. I can only be a boy mom. I'm not ready to deal with what I have to deal with in order to raise a girl. And I was like, wow. Mm. I didn't even think about that. How much that would have brought up. Totally. It's real deep. And, and looking at, you know, that's a lot of information right there. Like even hearing that you probably have a whole laundry list of things that means to you. And I have a whole laundry list that that means to me based on our own childhood and based on our programming and our relationships with our moms. Yeah. So here's something from a friend of mine. Uh, It's a question talking about, she's dealing with a lot of temper tantrums right now with her Mm -hmm. toddler. And she and her husband are trying to figure out what the medium line is between enabling and supporting. And they're very much struggling in this. Toddler life. (laughs) It's so insane. How old is the little one? She'll be two. Yeah. There's the terrible twos, but like for mine, it like two was fine. It was three. That was like, Oh, demon spawn, but it's all great. It's all part of the development, right? The no, the screaming, because they're, they're coming into control of their bodies and their minds. So on one hand, you really want to keep that. You want to keep that fire, especially for girls. I mean, that's a little sexist, but 
we're deprogramming some of that stuff. And so my little one is a girl and she's real feisty, but I'm kind of also like let her get away with more than I did with my first, because I also saw with my first, I was kind of doing more of what I thought was right and having great manners and the conditioning. And she does have great manners. And I actually believe in, in having good manners, but I let my little one be a little bit more fierce because I also think that's who she is innately. And then also we need more of that, you know, and she's feisty. So, but I hear that. And when she, she has more tantrums than my first one did. So just speaking to the tantrum, I think you have to play around with some different tactics. I do think you have to follow through. So if you're saying, if this behavior keeps on happening, we're just going to do this and not doing it in a shaming way, but like, let's say, oh, you keep throwing a cup of juice on the floor just because you can and it's fun. But like after like maybe the third cup, I'm just not going to give you something to drink right now. You know, when you're really thirsty and you're really ready for that, I'm going to give it to you. Or we're going to go sit outside and we can take the cup out there and give you something to drink there. So having some boundaries, because when you don't give kids any boundaries, it makes them feel very unsafe and they will continue to keep acting out because they're actually asking you to hold that boundary for them. So it's just kind of finding your sweet spot and there's, there's no one size fits all. It's depending on what the thing is. Some kids have like certain topics or certain things that is just very reoccurring, whatever reason for that kid. And then they also will grow out of it. Can you give me an example of like what's happening that they're frustrated with, or is it just kind of the overall? Generally, I mean, their daughter is very, well, I guess a big part of this that could be helpful is um, she's not talking yet. Mm-hmm. So I think it's a lot of the frustration, mm-hmm, a lot of frustration. And then I think, too, she thinks that it's playing. So like she'll try and climb into the cable box area and mm-hmm. pull on the cables. Mm-hmm. And my friend is like, no, 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 like we don't do that. And mm-hmm. but she keeps doing it. And then she kind of turns around and looks at her like, I know you're going to tell me I'm not mm-hmm. allowed, but mm-hmm. I'm still going to do it. And then laughs. So it's like trying to distinguish between like just yeah no that's they do that all the time and it's it's like infuriating because you're like really this is the 20th time we're doing this i do think talking through why you're telling them things is really helpful and i think a lot in our society we don't think you can talk to kids like normal they're humans they're people they're souls you know and i believe in reincarnation so i actually believe that our kids are actually kind of at a higher frequency than us. Each new generation, they have more to teach us than we have to teach them. So kind of assuming they're just like cute little chubby blobs is like very disrespectful in my mind. So I always, from newborns on, would speak to my babies, even when I'm changing their diaper. I'm changing your diaper now. I hope it's okay. I'm, you know, I'm taking your dirty diaper off and I'm cleaning you because we don't want to have poop on your skin because your skin, you know, like just explaining. So she could just calmly explain, I don't want you touching these wires because they're really not good. And a wire could hurt you. And so instead of just saying no, because kids don't really understand what that means, really explaining why, and then making just like firm boundaries, maybe on like not being in that room until, or that part of the room or whatever, the thing is until they can kind of be there more safely. That's helpful. Yeah, that is helpful. Can you share the differences between your birth stories? Mm. Yes. How long do you have? (laughs) (laughs) So I did do a podcast on the differences of my birth stories. So I would recommend going back to that because I definitely delve in for an hour in detail. But 
in general, they were very different. And I attribute that mostly to, I was different. I was two different people because with my first, I was moving through this massive rite of passage, which is made into mother, becoming a mom for the first time. And then with my second, I knew so much more. So there was so much less anxiety going into my second one. A, from what I'd learned from my first baby and child, but B, and probably most importantly, was I was so much stronger in my beliefs. I was so much more empowered in my strength and I fucking owned it, you know? And we never know how our births are gonna go. It's always a miracle. Like it's always a miracle. And for any, you know, new mom listening, you can relate. It's like, after you have a baby, you walk around for a while being like, oh my gosh, every person I'm seeing had a mom that birthed them. You know, it's because it's, we just take it for granted. But when you've gone through birth, you're like, whoa, this is crazy. Like all these people I'm seeing have been birthed and they were in their mom's stomach. And it's just, it's trippy. Um, I remember the first time, well, I was like driving the day after my first baby and like, you know, 33 and just didn't know better. I mean, I had no idea. I didn't really know what I was doing. And I remember going to Earth Cafe and I just like all these like trendy little LA girls. And I was just like, I felt so proud. I was like, I just like had a human come out of my vagina. Like I just, it felt so revolutionary, you know, like I just did this huge thing. But with my second, but I had a lot of fear in my birth. For me, it felt traumatizing in ways. My birth went very differently than what I wanted. I'd wanted a birth center birth with midwives and had really prepared for that. I had not prepared at all for going to the hospital. I had met my backup doctor. My husband and I went and met him and like leaving his office, we're like, good thing we're never going to see that asshole. Like we did not like him. Like I just didn't know better. I was just like, it's going to go to plan. It's going to go how I want. And it didn't. And, you know, compared to other births, it was a great birth. You know, I was healthy. She was healthy. We were like, quote unquote, fine. But to me, in my body, I held onto trauma for a couple of years. And that also is what got me on this path. You know, I was not doing this work before I had her. So she really awakened this healing within me that led me on this path. So like, on one hand, it all is very divinely timed and is part of my makeup. With my second one, I knew so much better. I knew how to do the postpartum. I didn't read anything pregnant. I just walked my three to five miles. I swam in the ocean every day. I didn't listen to anybody. I was just so like in my own power because I'd done it before. And I also was a doula. You know, I just, I was around birth. I knew it. I felt comfortable with it. And I planned for a home birth. I had a home birth, which was a huge blessing. And she really healed that loop for me. It was kind of like this dream I'd always had to have the home birth. And it was just really beautiful that I got that. And it still was hard. It's fucking hard. You know, birthing without medication is hard. Birthing in general is hard. It's a huge thing. And I did it and it was amazing. And it was the most beautiful birth. And, you know, I'm just very grateful for that. But again, we don't know. We don't know, you know, we'd never know how it's going to go. And I had to really do that work before I had my second to let go of the expectation. Cause I was like, okay, this may not turn out how I want it. You know, all my dreams of this home birth, it may not turn out that way. And I have to be an acceptance of that. I have to know I've done the work. I've shown up to the best of my abilities. 
I have the best team. I love my midwife. I've got a backup doctor. I've got my doula. I've got my partner who's right here. I've got my postpartum plan. Like I'm doing all the things I can do. And then I have to surrender and let go. I'm just in awe. <laughs> it's just wild to me. <laughs> just shake it around. Yeah, it's it's wild. It's wild. And, you know, not to be scary to anybody, but with each birth, to me, the surrender, when I talk about surrender of birth, it feels like a death. It feels like I'm dying. Like it's not even, it's not a metaphorical dying. It's like, I feel like I'm dying now. Like that's what this feels like. And because it's the opening of your body to that degree. And, you know, like with my second, I was just like, I'm dying. Like, that's what this is. I have to just go through it. And then usually when women get to that point, that's when they're, you know, in the movies, they're screaming for drugs. Cause you're at transition. You're literally when you're at that precipice of the baby coming out. And that's when, like, I know my mom, she's like, okay, I'm done now. I'll come back tomorrow. And you know, it's just like, you're out. Like, you're just like, I'm done. <laughs> and, but that's when you're on the precipice. You know, when I got to that point, then it was like, and I was screaming fuck. And my midwife, who's incredible, she's the Sikh. And she's like, that's so good, dear. When you say fuck, that means the baby's coming soon. And <laughs> she was so amazing. <laughs> I know. And she's just so calm. That's great. You're saying fuck. And um, yeah. And then, you know, I pushed her out like very shortly thereafter. And then I felt great because then my natural oxytocin kicked in and it was just like sweet sailing. You know, our bodies are miraculous. Wild. It's so cool. All right. So the last two questions are kind of two really one and part of the other. Um, so I'm just going to kind of group them together for you. But I do want to say to those of you listening, these topics may be triggering to some of you. So this is an opportunity to speed past these two questions before we finish out the rest of this Q&A podcast. We want to make sure that we are supportive and holding space for wherever you are on your journey. So I'm going to go ahead into those questions now. All right. As a childhood sexual abuse survivor, how can I work through the fear of having anyone but myself or my spouse watch our child? And the second part of this is, do you have general advice for women who have had sexual abuse trauma when they are approaching birth? Mm, yes. Thank you. And I'm just going to hold some light and love around this conversation. This is such a triggering and traumatic topic. And just really beaming light to any of you listening that have experienced this. And may we all hold each other in a circle of healing light as we release any shame or guilt. And thank you for bringing these questions forth, Sam, because, you know, this is a very common thing. This is a very common situation and it breaks my heart, but it is a very common thing for my clients and my friends and my women group to have a lot of sexual abuse amongst it. And the first thing is just how can we find support that we need? So whether that's therapy, talk therapy, body work, somatic nervous system workers are amazing. Maybe even some intervaginal healing can be pretty amazing. I did that work postpartum and it helped release a lot of trauma in that realm of my body. So wherever you are in your life listening, I really urge you to make the commitment to yourself with your time, with your love, with your money to get the healing and support that you need. That's first of all. 
it often, if not always, will come up in your labor and birth if there is unhealed trauma. Because how could it not? It's in your first and second chakra. This blew my mind when I was just delving into this work almost 10 years ago, where a teacher of mine was saying that over and over and over, she would see women when they got to be about four centimeters dilated, just stall out or like, you know, she would, they would do all this work, all this prenatal work. They wanted the home birth. They wanted this, you know, it was like, they're doing all this work. They'd get to four centimeters. And it was just like blinders came over their eyes. Like there was an energetic, just like change. Like it just, it gives me chills. It, Cause she was just like, she said for a while, she just, she didn't understand it. She was like, wow, I, we, you were so on this page. And then all of a sudden you're on the other page. Come to find out it's because that is the circumference of a penis when the cervix is opening to that extent. So if there's unresolved sexual trauma held in the body, it's going to come up at that point. So that can be when women tap out, like, okay, I want the epidural, get this baby out of me. Let's do the C-section. Some women don't even get to that part in labor. They just emotionally know before even getting into natural labor that they want to schedule C-section. And again, no shame or guilt or any judgment on this, but it's just something to really know so that you can work with that if you're dealing with that in your life. It's not to say you can't have a beautiful vaginal natural birth if you have, have suffered from sexual trauma. It just takes more guidance and support and healing work around it. Also being really mindful of if you have suffered from sexual abuse or you think you have, you know, a lot of children stuff it down, you know, you, you lose those memories. And so it can sometimes just come up during your pregnancy. It can sometimes come up during your birth and delivery and being very mindful about who is at your birth. You know, that's a big one. Who of your family or your extended family is going to come visit you postpartum, you know, statistically, most children are abused by people in their family. So you don't want that person around. And that's just a really horrible statistic, but it's reality. So really protecting yourself, letting your partner protect you, letting them on what's going on for you so that they can help protect you. As far as having a child, I mean, it's like, you know, the worst nightmare possible. So I totally understand that question and that fear. And again, it's like knowing yourself and knowing where you are and also being okay if you don't know for sure. Like, is this someone else's anxiety that's coming in? Is this anxiety just because I know what's happening in the world? Is this actually because I think this person could be abusing my kid? I mean, there's so many different levels of it that your nervous system might be alerting you to listen to that. So obviously not leaving your kid with anyone that you don't feel hundred percent safe with. And maybe that means you don't leave your kid for a couple of years. I mean, that can be a harsh reality. Like if you really don't have someone that you feel safe with, don't leave your kid with them, you know, because can you even enjoy being away from them if that's even in your mind, you know? And then also knowing as mothers, like we do have a lot of anxiety, you know, there's lots of things to fear or we brought this perfect baby into the world. And then it's, there are all these scary monsters around, or it feels like that. And it's hard not to let yourself go into these like cyclical fantasies. And I think every mom can relate to that. I mean, I constantly have to talk myself through those things and really connect to like, what is my intuition telling me right now? And what is some like outside fear that's freaking me out right now? And sometimes you're wrong, but it's okay. Like sometimes you might go out 
on a date with your partner and 10 minutes at the restaurant, you're like, I got to get home. I, I don't feel safe anymore. And like, sometimes you just have to do that. You just have to leave. Other times it's talking through it. It's breathing through it. It's okay. Let's wait another 10 minutes. See how I feel. You know, it's like, there's no right or wrong. Again, it's knowing yourself. It's supporting yourself as a new mom, especially first time moms. Very scary to leave your kid with somebody, especially if it's not someone you really trust and love. And it's also a muscle that you kind of do have to work on eventually because eventually you have, you're going to have to leave your kid with someone like eventually. I mean, maybe not every mom, maybe some moms do stay with their kids, you know, for a couple of years all the time, but there's other shadow parts to that too, because then you're just tapped out and exhausted. So I don't know if I'm being clear or linear at all in that answer, but I think just the bottom line is learn your nervous system, learn where you are, look at any unhealed trauma, and then make conscious decisions from that space. I think that's awesome. Those are really great. Just pieces of advice and things to really think about that I think might be difficult to think about when you're so close to it. Yeah. And it like it is. Yeah. Yeah. All that is horrifying to think about. I just think you have to weigh, weigh the pros and cons. And if you are having an inkling, then don't do it trust your intuition. And that also circles back to the very beginning of greatest superpower you have as a mother is your intuition. We are all born with it. We have that intuition. And then over life, it is kind of taken from us. You know, we're, we're, we're taught very early on to doubt ourselves. I mean, the programming starts so young. I need to go to the bathroom, mommy. You don't need to go to the bathroom. You just went to the bathroom 10 minutes ago. Like you're not hungry. You just had a snack 10 minutes ago. We're, we constantly tell our children what they're experiencing and it's hard, you know, but it's like any muscle. It's like you, you start to then catch yourself before you do it. And I mean, look at the school system. Like you can't go to the bathroom except like during the, you know, the bell, the different hours, like you're told when to eat, you're told when to go to the bathroom, you're told when you can speak. It's wild once you start to deconstruct it. And so learning and really trusting your intuition takes time and it takes intention. And that's where meditation is so huge because when you start to really get deep into your meditation practice, it's not something that you have to make yourself do. It's something you just want to do because you feel so good. And you know, this it's like, when you're that clear, you get downloads so much faster. It's actually so much more efficient to take the time to meditate because you just, you get, you end up getting to point B so much faster. Oh, absolutely. Whether it's happiness, business, whatever. Yeah. You just tap more into yourself. Exactly. And yeah. that intuition will lead you where you need to be. Always does. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> I think we got through a ton of questions. These were really, really great questions. And I think, well, I hope that everybody out there felt really seen and heard with all of these being answered and supported. I learned a lot. Good. <laughs> <laughs> I'm For the audience, I'm not a mom. And if you couldn't tell by now. <laughs> um, but yeah, I've, I've learned so much. Yeah. Thank you for the questions. Those are great questions. And I feel like that's like, it was such a good overview. I love everyone that sent in questions. Thank you. Thank you. Well, thank you, Sam. I love you. It was fun to do it with you. Yeah, I like this. This was, this was great. Very enjoyable. And like I said, I learned so much. <laughs> good. All right. Well, more to be revealed. Sending love out to everybody. Have a beautiful day. Jay Ma.